Welcome to another episode of Life, Life in, 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 in Space. This is the continuation of the Bob Ross Experience Grand Opening. This is the Jim Needham talk, and he's going to explain uh, some stories about Bob Ross, what it was like to be the general manager of WIPB, and also how his relationship with Bob Ross as being a production manager, uh, and also having fun as well. So uh, if you want to sit down, enjoy, uh, this is gonna be a one hour uh, talk with Jim Needham at the Bob Ross Experience at the Minatrista. Uh, so enjoy, and uh, here we go. Let's go ahead and listen to the uh, audio that I recorded. Here we go. We're gonna get started. I'm gonna remove my mask so you can hear me better. Welcome to Minatrista, home of the Bob Ross Experience and home of Ball Jars. Uh, we are a legacy site uh, founded the five Ball brothers and their families, their five historic homes down the boulevard, and really we carry on the legacy of the Ball family, as they said to themselves, as their mother said to them, stick together, and that's it, just stick together. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a morning, right? <laughs> um, I am thrilled that today we have Jim Needham with us. Jim Needham was the general manager of WIPB, and I got the dates specifically for those historians out there, from 1976 to 1993. At which point he started, uh, he was always at Ball State, but he taught from 1993 to 2010 uh, in the TCOM department. In 2010, he retired. Um, but Jim never really retires. Jim has been hard at work at a couple things. First, that there would be someday a Bob Ross Museum. Because one of the best parts of Jim is that he wasn't just the general manager of WIPB, he was a personal friend of Bob's. And today is a really amazing experience for you um, and for all of us to be able to hear from Jim, both a little bit about working with WIPB, but also uh, hearing about his relationship with Bob. So he's going to give a small presentation and then there'll be a Q&A period. Um, so feel free to ask him questions um, and enjoy your time today. Thank you for coming to Minitrista. I will social distance through this whole thing and then we'll we'll uh, move back on. If they move the chairs out here so I can do this. Uh, and I think I'm going to turn that one down. Uh, I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about this and to talk about Bob because in many, many ways it was a, a dream come true for me and I didn't know that at the time. But I've been teaching, I've been uh, managing the station for a while and I'm going to ask you to turn this down just a little bit dimly. We'll bring this up. Bob Ross experience. Uh, one of the things I did uh, when I retired was I went to Korea and taught in Korea. And you would say to yourself, well, why is that important? Um, let me tell you why it's important, because I don't have a doctorate. I have a master's degree in it. Disciplines, but uh, when I got ready to go teach, they said we only hire teachers with PhDs. And I said, uh, Well, I've been in broadcasting 27 years and uh, I've taught for 17. And they said, Well, you don't have a PhD. I said, You're right. And they said, Well, send us a full resume, which is about nine pages long, actually, with all the things I've done in television. And, uh, and so I sent it to them, and, and the, the chair wrote back to me and said, Oh, Mr. Needham. You were involved in developing the joy of painting. I grew up watching that. Of course you can teach our students. <laughs> in Korea, okay? That sort of tells you the story. It's, it's funny because, and it is funny, but that's what happened and that's what he said. 44 years old and he was the chair of the department. So anyway, a lot of fun. Uh, one of the things I, I was always amazed at when I got into television was that I could do this kind of work and actually get paid for doing it. 
because I would have done it for free. It's just, it's a lot of fun if you like to meet people and learn a lot of things in a, in a crash situation where you have to learn a lot quickly, digest it, capsulize it, and put it back out with pictures and sound and all of the rest, music, uh, locations, and all of the things that you do. Uh, it's, it's really fun. And I, I want to ask a question before I begin, and, and this is not something you expected, and I know George didn't expect it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> How do you feel when you watch The Joy of Painting? Another That's professor, I'm going to ask the question. Happy. Sunday nights uh, and uh, set up the studio and Mondays we would do the opens and closes. Tuesday would do half of the shows, seven or six or seven, and Wednesday we would finish out the series. Thursday we would review everything and redo a show if necessary. <clears throat> and that didn't happen often, but it did happen sometimes. And Friday then we would play. Bob collected Albany glass and we would go around this whole area in the end and we would find Albany glass that he fell in love with and my wife and I would go and we would collect pieces. And he had a sense of humor and he would go in and he'd walk out in about three minutes and say, Jim, there's three or four pieces here, can you find them? <coughs> and I couldn't always find them. I didn't have the kind of photographic memory for Albany glass that he did, but but that's what we would do in any event. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. Let me go back to the beginning here and tell you why I think he was successful. And I've got this, I, I have many of my books of, that they sent me from Bob and, and Bob gave me a lot of them, but I don't know if you can read this or not. You're one of the special friends that have helped make my dreams come true. Bob was living the dream. I have a friend that ophthalmologist and I asked him how he is and he says, live in the dream, Jim, live in the dream. Well, Bob got to live the dream. He was in the Air Force for uh, 21 years. When he finished with that, he had learned to paint and he started painting. Originally, uh, while he was in the Air Force, he attended bar. That's one of the things he did. He painted on the pans, on like gold panning pans and sold them. And he loved doing that. And I'm sure he was a I read that he was a drill sergeant for a while and uh, he was yelling at people as part of his job and he just hoped someday he would not have to do that anymore. And when he got to this, you know, his voice kind of changed and his whole demeanor changed. Peaceful. I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, one of the things that we talked about when we would have Lunch or dinner, typically we didn't have breakfast together, but uh, lunch or dinner many, many times. And, and I would usually pray and, and say, you know, once we got the show going, I asked God to bless it. Well, we never talked about his closing at the end of his shows, which says, uh, happy painting and God bless. You all know that, my friend. But he decided to do that. I'm not sure why. But I know when we would sit down to eat, he would say, aren't you going to pray? And I always prayed and asked God to bless it. And all I'm here to do is to tell you that God has blessed it big time. Joan Kowalski sent us a note to read at the opening of the, the, the ribbon cutting on uh, Thursday. And one of the things that she said was that we have, I googled Bob Ross and I got 59,200,000 hits. I Googled it this morning and got 188 million wow. hits. 188 million hits. Somebody else is watching besides you all. And uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I've passed out a lot of these things over the last year. I've done about a dozen of these talks. And, I, and one of the things that uh, was uh, reported back to me is 
is this little piece, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm particularly fond of a memory that happened after my grandfather's funeral, when my many cousins and I returned to my grandmother's house and we turned on the joy of painting. It was then that we discovered Bob Ross was beloved to every one of us and was a favorite after school to watch with our grandchildren. It was a beautiful moment that bonded us together as happy clouds and trees were painted in the background. My wife uh, stopped me. She's been a part of this, and my three children have been a part of it, and our grandchildren are now, but <clears throat> stopped me earlier this week and said, you know, I, I just happened to cross Bob Ross, and I watched it, and I felt so peaceful. I was so grateful he was on, because so much other stuff is on that's not peaceful right now. And uh, I think that's it. But the other part of the picture is, and I'm not going to preach to you, but I will tell you that the Apostle Paul talked about that in Philippians, where he said, whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things, and the peace of God will be with you. So whether he knew it or not, he was really taking those thoughts and projecting them out by what he did. He, all, he told you what you did was good, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. He told you you didn't make mistakes. And so many people in this culture tell us when we make mistakes. Well, anyway, I think that's why he was so successful, because he taught something that energizes us, as opposed to telling us when we're doing things wrong, which depresses us, or locks us up, I guess. Um, <clears throat> Bob and Annette showed up in 1982. They came here because WIPB was part of the advertising test. You may not know about it, but early in the 80s, the, the Congress tried to find a way to get rid of on-air pledging and asking for money, which I did for 17 years, and I know I was eager to do it too. So eager, in fact, that I flew to New Orleans and met with the chairman of the FCC at a cocktail party and went up to him and said, we want to be in this test. He said, we're only going to have nine stations. I said, well, we're a small station. We're the only station in town that used to be commercial. I work commercial and public, and I know we can be a success. We want a chance to be in it. We ended up being the smallest of the nine stations in America that did that test for 18 months. In the middle of that, Bob and Annette put an ad out on WIPD Channel 49 and asked for people to come to their workshop. <clears throat> now, they'd been crossing the country in a Datsun pickup camper with all their stuff in the back, a bag for each of them, and they'd get a couple rooms and stay overnight, and Annette would set it up and do the business aspects of it. Bob would teach the class just like they're doing in the room next door. And, uh, they came in the front door and they said, I'd like to see the manager and the secretary down there. The receptionist said, what can I do for you? So we'd just like to talk to him. Can we do that? And they, they called me and I came down and I met him and, and he said, we'd just like to know something about him. We're Bob and Ed, Bob, Bob, Bob Ross and Nick Kowalski. What's different about this station? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, usually we get 10 or 15 people to be in the class and we've got 70 signed up and we got a problem. <laughs> and we said, what's the problem? Well, we're going to have to stay over a couple of days because you can't do three or four classes in a day. So uh, he said, uh, have you ever thought about doing a painting show? And I said, no, why? And he said, well, we just wondered. I said, well, why don't we go to lunch and talk about it? There's a place called Johnny Carino's down here on the Galliard. It used to be Mr. Steak, and that's where we went. Jim Local was the manager at that time still around as a realtor, but we sat there and talked and afterwards kind of drafted out some ideas and I put, put it together in paper and sent it out to Walt Kowalski and pretty soon we had a contract and we began the show. And we began it because the station that they had worked with in uh, Falls Church, Virginia, had done the first series with them and never finished it. They'd done all the painting parts, but not the opens and closes, so it couldn't be used anywhere. You have to have credits, and they didn't follow through. And so Bob was kind of burned by that. So was Annette. It had been over a year since they taped the series, and they said, here's what we want. We want you to promise that you'll put opens and closes on this and distribute it through the station program fair, and that you'll pick up 25 stations for us that will watch our program so we can afford to do another one. And we said, in our usual braggadocio way, we can do that. <laughs> we were doing a lot of programming. We were the only station in town. I came out of production. I was a producer director for a period of time. And I, I had a, a, 
couple of short uh, programs for the Channel 8 for a year. And I produced documentaries before that, and when I came to Muncie, one of the things that happened was um, the people that were working for me, there were only 10 on the staff at that time, were all hired away by someone else who was putting on a new station in Fort Wayne. And at the end of the first year, all of the people that had been here were gone except for one. And I had hired new people. And what I had done is found people who loved to do production, like I did. Like I said, I would have done it for nothing. I loved working. And when I was a documentary producer, often I would work from 7 in the morning to midnight. I just loved what I was doing. And uh, I knew how to do it. And I was pretty good at it. Um, but I, I hired really good people who loved it and were good at it. And we did all kinds of things. Basketball games, we did coaches shows, we did endurathons, we did telesale, televised auctions, which uh, usually involved 12 to 1,400 people in chaos. But uh, an incredible amount of fun, and we made a lot of money with that. And we grew the station. So we got to do that, and we had the people who could do it. And when Bob and Annette came through, we set up the contract, and we signed it, and we started and did the first series and put the opens and closes on it, which were really, you know, they were nothing. We put opens and closes on every program we do. Not a big deal. But for them it was a big deal because they couldn't market what they had because they didn't have it finished. It wasn't polished. It wasn't packaged. So we did that. And we put ours up. And we did their second. And it, I think it was distributed once, but that's it. Because not many people picked up the first series, but a lot of people picked up the second. And I brought the second book with me, which is this is the first book. And I, I showed you this quote just a minute ago. And I think Ball State has one of these pictures, this one here. It's, it's in the exhibit in, the, in Oakhurst. But um, they, uh, um, they said, if you get 25, and we had 30 stations the first time we offered it, the second time we had 60, the third time we were at 100. By two years, we had 200 stations carrying our program. This is from nothing. Uh, we were beginning to have people, a lot of people interested, and wanted Bob to come and be on their auctions and, and come on and pledge with them, and he would do that. He would travel all over the country and do that. He loved, loved being part of this enterprise, this, as my wife would call it, showbiz. Once she said, I'm never going to marry somebody that's in showbiz. That was a problem initially. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go on with this. So what happened? I'm telling you what happened. Here's how, what it looked like when it was WIPB TV. They had worked hard to get ready, and so had we. And we jumped at opportunities because we had no money. And we started an auction in 1978. And by 1983, when he came, we were bringing in about almost $200,000 in one year. Uh, and that was almost equivalent at that time to our budget. It was amazing. So it was a big deal. But we liked it, and he liked it. And I'll talk in a little bit about how I got to paint on that. Uh, because Bob asked me to, not because I wanted to, but it turned out all right. So let me tell you about that. We were growing, we had opportunities and challenges and competition. We had staff problems. We went from the yellow brick building to the Mary Lincoln House, the white, uh, the, the sort of gray brick one on the corner. Um, and my office ended up there before we moved in 1988 to the Ball State campus. But we were engaging the community and having a blast doing what we love to do, which was production, and bringing the community to life and around the activities that were going on in the community and reflecting them back to them. Programs about really important issues, cancer and, and uh, uh, heart disease and all kinds of programs that we would use as uh, springboards for discussions. And, and we had a, a lot of fun and, and a lot of people watching. Bob was born in 1942 in Daytona Beach, Florida. He's a couple years older than I am in the Air Force for uh, 21 years, I think. Learned to paint watching Bill Alexander while he was still in the Air Force. Retired in 1980, taped a series at WNBC. Very disappointed. They had the experience with the 70 students, and we told them what we could do. And they stayed and taught their lessons. And uh, Bob invited me to come and be part of one of those workshops, and I just be one of them. One big regret I have is he invited me three times to do that, and I never did it because I was too busy running a station and raising money. And uh, that's what it was. But uh, when we got together and had fun together, 
and uh, like I said, we would go play on Fridays after they do the series, and <coughs> occasionally take some staff people with us. But my wife always went, so we have some of that at home, and great memories of Bob. So what was most important, using the oil paint? I think that's part of it. The white and white method is really important, and they've used that, or sometimes they do start with a black canvas. <coughs> but it was, it was loving painting, but it was also loving people. I think that was probably the most important part of it. It's loving little critters, too. If you don't love critters, you probably can't paint. That's a lie. <laughs> but he loved critters. One time we were in the studio and he came in with Peapod the Pocket Squirrel in his pocket, literally a shirt like this, but it had a pocket. And he came over and said, you should meet this guy. And he flipped him off on my shoulder and he goes falling down my arm and down my pants. Of course, I had dress pants on. And those, those, those the baby squirrels have claws like needles. And they go right through the clothing, just you know, like they're climbing a telephone pole. I said, wait a second, Bob, this, this, this hurts. It's nothing. It's not, they're not heavy. I said, I know that, but they're sharp. You can have them back. He said, well, I mean, wait a second. Then he said, come on up here, come on up here. And he, so they climbed up my leg and my arm until I over the bottom. <laughs> loved people, loved critters. He was curious. He had a dream. This was his dream. This was his dream. He was living the dream and he was having fun. And you know what? I was living the dream. I never imagined I would be a general manager of a television station. I wanted to be a television producer when I went to Indianapolis. Ended up working in management there and, and, and got a chance to do a couple of programs which gave me a springboard to get to the station, believe it or not. But that's another story that's not going to happen today. There's just too much to talk about. Was it the station, the community? We were the only station in town. We had a great staff. They loved what they were doing. The community loved us. We had a community board that supported us and advised us. Was it my conversation with them? I think our willingness to, to take risks was a big part of this. We took risks every day. We tried to do we tried new things. Anything we thought would work, we would try. And fortunately, my board would give me the the uh, uh, confidence to, to do what we wanted to do. And I would call somebody if I needed additional money, and we, we started saving money from the telesale to auctions. And I remember getting our first uh, remote remote van, which was an old red truck, white red truck that was already ten years old. And we said we want to do basketball games. We asked Ralph Whitinger. Of a, the county firm here and also the chairman of the Ball State University Foundation. He was the one who was kind of in charge of that. And I said, can we do that? And he said, do you have the money? And I said, yes, what are you going to do with it? And I told him, and he said, go buy it. So we did. And because of the structure of the board and that joint board that Ralph was the president of, I was able to do those kinds of things and get them done fairly quickly and move on. And, get into the projects. Certainly the, one of the first things we did was the Endurathon, I think it was 1978, the first one, and we used that red truck. And all kinds of things. And when I testified before Congress in 1981, and they said, why don't you just use the cameras from your from your, your remote van? And I said, we take them out of the studio, put them in the red truck, and everybody in the hearing in Washington started laughing, of course, because they didn't know how small our operation was. Well, you can read the thing I put up there earlier, and I'm going to show you this is what this pretty much the first crew here. Richard Collins, the Maps, and, and uh, uh, oh, come on, Jim. Sally Shank, she directed most of the programs, the gal down, down front left there. Bob and me, and our chief engineer, and uh, Kathy Morton, who wasn't Morton, then she was somebody else, and she got married to one of our engineers. Um, this is the crowd with the crew in 1985. We've grown a lot. We'd already done uh, probably eight series by that time. Uh, and we're moving forward. And, and, and if you've been to the Lucius Ball home, you'll see we're right on the front steps there. This is where we were for quite a while, about 18 years. This is in 92 when we painted the painting, which is also in, the, in Oakhurst. And uh, Bob was in this picture, as you can see. But, uh, a lot of us. And, and the neat part about it was everybody loved Bob and loved spending time with him. We'd finish a series and he'd sit down on the front porch over there with a big glass of iced tea and talk and tell stories. And uh, then we'd say, gotta go, gotta work. And we'd all pick our stuff up and go inside and shut the doors. And if it was wintertime, we wouldn't do that. But one of the things we had to do in the wintertime, which is kind of funny, 
we'd be doing a series and every so often in the wintertime we would forget to turn off the heat. Now we had hot water heat. And hot water heat in an old building built in 1905 is the kind of heat that goes clunk, clunk, clunk. And we'd say, wait a second, Bob, we've got to start over, turn the, turn the boiler off. And we did. We all laughed, took a sip on our coffee or an iced tea or whatever you're drinking and waited a few minutes and then we started up in the pipes. <laughs> That's true. You never heard it on the series, but we heard it. <laughs> you got to take a break. Great teammates, we had that. We had the happy trees and mighty brush. That's part of it. It's kind of a mystical way you describe things. The purple skies and pink clouds. We went to Alaska after we'd done the series. Of, we did it in the early 2000s and, and saw that the colors up there are unbelievably different. And they're amazing. And Bob didn't make that up. They really are that way. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. His philosophy, no mistakes when painting with me, only happy accidents. Some of you have shirts on that say that. There are shirts over at, at the orchard shop. There are also cards. I'm, I'm going to tell you about these. I went in and bought a couple and we play bridge and sometimes. And I got two packages of these. And I think they're six bucks a piece. But there's a lot of things over there that are Bob Ross. And if you're interested, you can buy them. They're open today. Um, they had fun. This is Annette Kowalski, somebody you won't see this trip. She's back in Reston, Virginia, where she lives with her husband, Walt, and her daughter, Joan, who's the president of the company now. And they had a lot of fun, and we had a lot of fun. I think that was one of the things that communicates in the show. He was having fun. He was. He was having fun. And Bob had fun wherever he went, I'll tell you that, and, and it was great. This is uh, one of the things we got to do together. Uh, this is my dream come true in a way. I was telling someone earlier. I think it was Emily. who's going to get me out of trouble if I have sound problems. But uh, we were doing a show and we got letters every day. Sometimes we got three and four hundred letters a day with money in them because they bought these books for starting off about ten dollars a piece and ended up about fourteen dollars a piece, I think. And we got a dollar for every book, so we would account for them and send them on, send the checks that were made out to the Joy of Painting on to Walt and Annette Kowalski in Reston, Virginia, and then they would send us a check every month for the number of books we had. But sometimes there were three and four hundred, I mean, they brought in these big boats of letters from the, the post office, and we'd think, boy, this is really, this is, this is a good deal. We worked hard, we played hard, we did things. Anyway, Bob got a letter, which we opened, of course, we will open them all, from a guy named Hank Snow, who was one of the big stars in Grand Ole Opry. And uh, I'm supposed to be done by now. Um, but Hank said, I want to trade you, I want to, I want to buy one of your paintings, and Bob said, I won't, I won't sell my painting, but I would like to trade you one of mine for one of yours. And then he called me and said, would you like to go to the Grand Ole Opry? And I was a kid growing up in Goshen, Indiana, when I used to listen to WSN in Nashville and learned the, the Tennessee Waltz on the Grand Ole Opry, and I thought, this is really cool. It was cool. So we had fun. I think that's one of the things, that, and here we are at Opry Land. We got, uh, Hank's card and we had access to everything, but Bob went in and all he did was stop and talk to people who knew who he was. And it was fabulous. <laughs> I like the critters that he showed off. This is Peapod the Pocket Squirrel. There were lots of Peapods. Uh, this is him feeding them. He, he really did do this. This wasn't, this, this, we just took pictures of what he was doing when he was off camera. Uh, Diana Schaefer, who was the bird lady here in Muncie, used to bring him critters, all kinds of critters, including uh, sometimes uh, raccoons and other things that we really didn't want in the studio. But <laughs> uh, we had them. But only a short time. We'd say, Bob, you can look at it. We're, we're going to tape, and they have to go. <laughs> sometimes he got them in the show anyway, but not often. His guiding mantra was simplicity. When we were in Nashville, I, I was sitting there, and he a cartoon of me cartoon, a really good cartoon, and I said, that's really good, and he did it in about three or four minutes, not long, he's a really good artist, and uh, I said, uh, you know, why don't you do that on your show, why don't you teach people how to paint faces, he said, it's too difficult, I don't do anything that they can't also do in watching me, so that's the reason, it's got to be simple, something they can do, enjoy. So was it the homey atmosphere, it might have been that, it certainly was a homey place. Uh, comfortable, chatty, friendly, non-judgmental crew, willingness to fail, we were all of those things. And we weren't perfect, we knew we weren't. We knew Bob wasn't perfect, but he was really good. 
Um, what happened next? The PBS stations embraced him, as you know. The viewers were everywhere and they loved the show. Um, the largest audience we ever had was a four rating in New York City in Boston. The rating is 4% is of all the television sets in the market. A share is something different, but a rating is huge in New York when you have a million homes or more. That's a lot of people watching at one time. Uh, this is the coverage in 2018. You can see there's something wrong with North Dakota. I never did <laughs> But it was a network station, and they may not have offered that. The good thing is that there's more. This is, uh, this is today's reach with YouTube. We're the green all over the, all over the world, actually. You can see we're not in China. We're not in, in uh, Syria and a couple other places. But we're literally, we're not in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, Pakistan, but we're most of the places around the world on YouTube, and it's in YouTube. We're there. These are some of the numbers, 45 million so far uh, watching us on Twitch, 5.6 million about Ross Marathon, they did the first time, 28 million viewers the second time in 2018. Um, I told you the numbers from searching Bob Ross today, they're phenomenal, 188 million, a lot. 403 series. People can watch 24 hours a day if they want. It's available in a lot of different formats, Amazon Prime and Hulu and, and uh, Twitch and Netflix. I can't name them all right off my head. Audiences are larger than ever before. People want to paint. Uh, they like to paint. This age of coronavirus, people want to meet. There's reassuring voice and manner. 22 of the series are on Amazon Prime right now. This is a parent's uh, review. You probably feel the same way. You find this relaxed and simple approach to painting refreshing and entertaining. His love for life and nature shine through in every episode. I laugh every time he cleans his brush and then beats the devil out of it. <laughs> First time he did that, we got paint all over everything. I thought we didn't know he was going to do that. All of a sudden, we had put black tarpaulins underneath the painting area there after that. But he would just go after it, and he said, he said you've got to paint all over it. He said, I have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Having fun. Really was. Very kid-friendly. Um, what does it do for us? It helps us learn to paint. Bob teaches true painting and fundamentals. I'm going to pass something out here at the end of this presentation that uh, is written. We had a 1,000 people respond to a request for what does what does watching the joy of painting do for you? And these were the artists that learned to paint watching Bob. And many of them have, which is amazing, because he teaches fundamentals. Calms us down, lifts us up, we find peace, painting with Bob. Why, I've already told you what I think. Just because I've been watching and thinking about it for about 37 years now. Um, I may be wrong, but that's what I think. Is there anything about that that you don't like? It's only 27 minutes long if you video it, you can Stop it and go back and play it. If you watch it on YouTube, you can stop it and take it back and play it again. He's got his own channel. Uh, he affirms our right and shows us how to make our world what we want it to be, which is a godsend in these times. I think you all agree to that. So what is the impact of this show? How many are reached? Um, we think there's about uh, uh, 20 million a, a week reached around the world. How many paint? Only probably half of them or less than that. A lot of them just sit and listen to them and watch them and do the ASMR. You all know what ASMR is, the sound of his voice. Funny thing happened when we, we put this program into Japan. Japan was the first country that took the show. And it took the show because Mitsiko, uh, 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 Mitsiko and her husband Kira Tiratata from Japan came and saw him somewhere in a mall. And she said, I want to do that. And they decided to stay here. They had a business, stayed here, and that somebody was running back in Tokyo. And she stayed here and taught, uh, learned the three lessons of, of landscape painting, escape painting, took it back to Tokyo. They set up a couple of stores, got it on the NHK and the, on the networks there, and, and in Japan, the public television network. And so it became the second distribution point for us. And we, the first year, we, we had Bob speaking on it, and we had subtitles. And the second year, they took his voice off. And the people said, no, 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 wait a second. They said it in Japanese, though. <laughs> Put it back on. We like his voice. We're learning English, too. 
so they put it back on, and it was, it's not the second most popular place anymore, Germany is, but it went on in Korea, like I told you, in a lot of places, it's many, many countries around the world, and helping people find peace, really, they really are by doing this. A series of seven classes each year that fill up. If you want to be in one of those classes, they happen in New Smyrna Beach, and you will want to sign up earlier. 4,500 CRI, Certified Ross Instructor Teachers in the U.S. and around the country, around the world, I mean. There are 21 classes and seven series of each of three levels. So if you're eager, sign up early. Of course, it's on Facebook. You can see a bunch of people that just finished painting, and all of the paintings are a little bit different. The mountains are their own. It is when I painted my mountains. It was one of my paintings in the, the uh, interest that shows uh, the one I had in my office for a long time, and Bob came in after he saw that I painted with a teacher named Dana Jester from uh, <laughs> Rifty right up here. And uh, I put in mountains, the Grand Tetons, and I'd also put in the Rocky Mountain. And I said to him, Bob, you know, I watched this. I looked at this a long time, and I, I put two different mountain ranges in the same painting. And he laughed, and he said, you're learning, Jim. <laughs> but it's, it's there with my mistakes and all, well, my happy accident, sorry. <laughs> I, you can't get away from your habits, you know. First you make your habits and then your habits make you. This is an example of some of the people who are within 60 miles of us here in Muncie if you wanted to take a class, but they're all available on the, uh, on the website. Joy Painting is growing. People use it to chill. Love to watch Bob and listen to him because he inspires us and lifts our spirits, as we said before. We learn we can do it too. Now, what can you take away? A sense of satisfaction. The American dream is alive and well in the arts uh, and in this marketplace. We love art. We want to paint. We can learn beginning with fundamentals and we will have something to show for it and something to give away. And I've given away four of my five paintings. So, um, and it's fun to do that. People like it. They're very personal. You can't buy them, but you can give them away. Um, so what are some of the stories? Did Bob do all the paintings himself? Yes, he did. He developed them himself. He painted and practiced them so he could get them done to where he could do them in about 20, 22, 23 minutes. Um, did someone else actually do the painting or write the scripts? No. He, there were no scripts. The only script was in Bob's head. He would walk in without any paper, walk in with the, the exemplar, the model of what he was going to paint. He would sit right off camera. Here's the painting for his painting. The painting he's painting from would be right here, just maybe three feet in front of him. So he could look at that. There was a camera over here shooting Bob and another one shooting the, the head on of the painting. He was actually painting. And so he would look at his model and use that and talk about it and glance at it every so often. And that's the way he did it. It was all there in front of him. You can always start in the back of the painting and move forward. You all know that. But Bob taught that and uh, he didn't have a script. But he never lost his, his place. It was really amazing. Uh, did he live in Muncie? For three years he did. He lived here until 1990 when his mother, Ollie, got sick. He went back to Maitland, Florida and took care of her until she died. And he sold the house here. My wife, Linda, sold the house for her. And the, the painting he gave her is over in the focus because uh, when she walked through the house to sell it, she said, I like this one. He said, well, this is not in any of the series. He said, I painted it for myself. And she said, I like it anyway. <laughs> About a month later, he showed up at our door and said, got a surprise for him. He gave it for one of his paintings. Uh, he was from Daytona Beach, initially in lots of other places. He moved around some. But he's, uh, he's, uh, he will always be, a member, always be a member of our community because of what he did here. This is the man he learned from, a guy named Bill Alexander, who gave him his mighty brush in the second series and congratulated him, wished him well. And later, several years later, after Bob had really taken off like a rocket, Bill wanted all that back and said, no, wait a second, I didn't give all of this to you, but Bill never caught up to Bob. Um, this is Bob's son, Steve, on the right. He's a great teacher and uh, a very good painter. Bob always told me he was better than Bob was. I don't know if that was true or not, but Bob thought it was true. But we couldn't persuade Steve to pick this up when Bob died in 1995. And so there are 403 programs in, this, in, the, uh, in the series, all 13, uh, 13, 31 series that we have. But Steve is, uh, did, is only on several of them. He's very good. And he is painting. And he's somewhere around here right now. And I'm not sure exactly where he is, but he's close to Muncie right now. And I haven't seen him since he, he came back. But he's 
Somebody told me it's here. I'd love to see it again. Where do the paints, palettes, and easels and brushes come from? They come from the United States right now, but they're also being manufactured in England. And I'm not going to click on these. These are all links to the states where you can find the instructors. If you want to take a class, if you want, or you can call Bob Ross, 1-800-BOB-ROSS, and you can get uh, the joint painting company, and they'll tell you where you can find someone who will teach you a class. When you take a class, how much does it cost? Usually somewhere between $30 and $50. They provide everything. They provide the tabletop easel, the paints, the palette knives, the brushes. They don't provide a smock. Bring one. Um, oh, I've, ne I've never spilled paint on me, but you could do that. It's possible. Mike, uh, not Mike, Bob got it on his arm before many times. That's why he pulled, pulled up his sleeves. How long does it take? It takes about three or four hours. And what comes with it? Everything you need, actually. This is the uh, workshop gallery in New Smyrna Beach, and the number to call, but you can find them by calling Bob Rossi. And this is Bob talking to somebody. And you need to take this to heart. You can do anything. If anybody challenges that, you tell them Bob Ross. <laughs> and you know what? The funny thing is they will know who he is. When I was traveling and uh, managing the station, I would always, uh, when I, the, the year we did the advertising test, I went to Washington every month. But, uh, to the conferences with Congress and other things. But I'd sit down between two people and I'd say, have you ever heard of the joint painting? I never had people say no. I never had people say no. And we'd, they'd start talking about it. And when we've traveled to some places overseas and when we talk to people, we get started. What did you do? And my wife brings it up sometimes. And when she does the conversation, all of a sudden it's about Bob Ross and not about us at all. <laughs> They're not interested in him. But they are interested in him. And they know about it. This is a sample of a schedule that was 19, 2019, of all of the classes taught in New Serena Beach. There's lots of them. Please call ahead if you want to do it. You want to enroll early because they do fill up. We paint on telesale because Bob said, hey, Jim, come on over here. And we were live. Of course, we were live for six to eight hours because we started at 6 o'clock and finished about 1 or 2 in the morning. And people were still awake bidding, believe it or not. And so he said, come over and paint. I said, Bob, I don't paint. And he looks right at the camera and he said, everybody paints. You know that. <laughs> everybody in the studio, is about 200 people are all laughing at me. So I go over and I say, come on, Bob, I've never done this. He said, well, you can do it. I'm going to help you. So he took my hand, put his hand on top of mine on the palette knife. He said, the hardest thing is getting this bead of paint on this little palette knife. And I said, well, this, we, how do we know where to, where to put it? He said, I'll show you. So we went over and we pushed it up and down. And he pulled it back. He said, see, that's a mountain. So it's really lonely, there's only one there. Let's do another one. <laughs> so I came back later and, and he was standing in front of the painting like I'm standing in front of this right now. And I said, Bob, they're gone. What happened? He said, Oh, they liked it better over here, so I moved them. <laughs> That's the benefit of wet on wet. You can do that. He just scraped it off, took his mighty brush and went moving a turpentine on it, and bingo. That waterless paint, that, that odorless paint there is wonderful for anything that you get. Paint on at home too. I might tell you that because it doesn't smell at all, and it does clean things up just like real turpentine. Anyway, we did paint. We finished. We sold that painting to a woman from Winchester, who came in partly. Uh, we were at the Uji Gilbert Building over on the east side of town, and uh, she came in and stopped at the bottom of the stairs because it didn't have any uh, handicap accessibility really. And uh, we got Bob, and he came down and talked to her. And, she talked and started crying when she saw him. And I said, uh, I went down with her and I said, are you okay? And she said, I'm okay. I just, I'm just so grateful to meet you, Bob, and, and to win your painting. Of course, she paid $500 for it, but she won it. You understand, other people were bidding against her. And uh, her husband came in and was so grateful. And they were just, they were just excited to meet him and to buy his painting. And uh, she said, you're the best part of my day. I have constant pain all the time. And I, sometimes I go to sleep watching you. I don't paint with you, but I watch you, and I watch you paint, and it's the best part of my day every day, so thank you so much for making my life wonderful. Paint all day, making your life wonderful. He came up the stairs, and I said, Bob, that's an incredible story. Have you ever heard that before? And he said, I hear it all the time, Joe. That's one of the reasons I paint. I change people's lives. And it's true. In a really positive way. 
And I think it really gets in our DNA. You start looking for what's right with life instead of what's wrong. Sure. And it's worth an awful lot. Mm -hmm. How many series are done? I told you 31. There were 403 of them. Um, many other programs, uh, many other opinions are done. We're given away on other auctions around the country. And the people in this community, and some of them are on display upstairs. Yeah. Enjoy a painting. I told you where it's seen and how many people we think are watching it. It's on the internet, on YouTube, Netflix, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Twitch, and Hulu, and some other services, and certainly on his own YouTube channel. Um, you can buy the books and DVDs and lots of other things at BobRoss.com. Look for it on the internet. And uh, I'm sure you have questions and I'll talk longer than I'm supposed to. What kinds of questions do you have? Have you'd like to know. Yes? There's 403 different episodes where a painting was painted, but there was three paintings per episode made. You know where the other, so in all of those, 1,200 something. Believe it or not, they're in boxes in the Herndon offices. And I know that because I saw the video where they cut them open to see where they were, the right one was that they wanted to show somebody. They're in a, a, a temperature and humidity controlled space. Uh, there have been all kinds of notions of what they will do with those at some point. They're working, I know, uh, on, uh, because of a New York Times article, they're working on an exhibit that will be in the Smithsonian, but I don't know when that's going to happen. But it will happen. And that's exciting. I, I, I worked really hard to, to, to help make that happen. And uh, I don't know when it's going to be. They may know, but I don't. And I know that that's a project that's. Are they the Herndon building? Where at? I'm not in the Smithsonian in Washington. Oh, all of them? No, I don't know that. I don't. I don't think all of them, but some of them. Other questions? Did I answer all your questions? <laughs> well, it was a lot of fun to work with him. Uh, if you haven't taken a painting class, you should do some. The instructors are really well schooled and what to do and how to encourage you. And they do that. They affirm you. They know Bob taught them really well that you affirm them what they're doing. This is really good. This is really good. It reminds me of my experience learning to ski. I don't know. Anybody in here a downhill skier? A couple of you? So I was learning to go from snowplow, which is like this, to parallel, which is like this. And my instructor from Austria is and I was a psychology major as an undergraduate, also uh, in community. Anyway, I study a lot of psychology. And so he's up there, he's affirming me, he's doing this positive, he's basically doing reinforcement to train me. And so we start down the hill, and, he, and I do it, and I snowplow a little bit. He says, yeah, 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 only do this a little more. Yeah, 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 I do this. And at the end of the hour, I was parallel skiing. When I started out doing snowplowing. And I watched them condition me, condition behavior, change it by saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And these instructors, not in that way, say, yeah, 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 this is really good. Every time I painted this, I'm just so much you can hear. Was it awesome? I don't know. <laughs> but by the time I finished, it was pretty good. It was way better than I thought I could ever be when Bob pulled me on camera and said, you're going to paint. You will enjoy it. It will lift your spirits, and if you give it away, it will lift your spirits even more, believe it or not. Because they'll talk about it. So, you know, I still have your painting. This is amazing. It's a gift. It becomes part of your DNA. I mean that. Mm -hmm. And it's worth having. Other questions? Other things you'd like to know? There's lots of things that have happened, but I haven't told you everything. Yes. Did he ever paint from a photograph, or did he always pull his subject matter just out of his mind? Never painted from photograph when I was down in, in uh, Maitland. When I went, the only time I went down to visit him in Maitland, uh, he, was, he, he had things he, he worked on, wanted to do, and he, he'd start some of them sometimes, and, and uh, he said, I'm not going to do that one. And, and you know, he tried things in his home there, had a nice home. And he, uh, but no, I never saw him work from a photograph. I, I think he, he had a photographic memory for what he wanted to do. He really did. And uh, he was a gifted man. And he had a dream, and we helped him fulfill that dream. And I think that was the, the fun part for him. And the fun part for 
for me, as most of my life, I've gotten to do things that were fun, and people paid me to do it. And it was a great privilege. And I think Bob felt the same way about all I was. I know he did, yes. Did they ever put people in any of those things? Well, we did one that had a person in it. A guy named Ben Stahl came to town. Ben came to town because we'd been so successful marketing the joy of painting. He was a, the foremost illustrator who did black drawing, uh, pen, pen drawings for the old Saturday Evening Post. Go find those somewhere and you'll find Ben Stahl, S-T-A-H-L. He was the top illustrator for Ben. And yet he did formal paintings, oil paintings, and he did it the traditional way. And yet he couldn't get anybody to market this 26-hour, single-hour programs that talked formal painting. And so he came to us and said, if you will market my painting series, I will appear on your program for free. So we said, okay, people know who you are. That would be great. So we had him on. He did a little painting about like this. You've ever seen the, the movie, The Girl with the Pearl Ear Earring? It was a painting very much like that of, the, of that girl. And uh, it wasn't that girl, but it was that kind of painting. It was about, I would guess, about 10 by 13, maybe 10 by 14, something like that. It wasn't big. It wasn't the 18 by 24 that Bob did every time. But uh, so he, he had charcoal kind of sketched out the outline of her face and, and her babushka and uh, you know, her, her scarf and stuff. And, and uh, uh, if you look up the, the painting, the Bob Ross painting of the little girl, or the and stalls. You probably could find her on the internet. And so this is what happened. So he started painting and all of a sudden he stopped. He said, we're done. And I looked at the clock. I was in the control room watching this and we had 15 minutes. That's all. We had to have 26 minutes and 47 seconds. That was it. We needed that. And so I walked out. I said, Bob, we got a little problem. He said, I think I know what it is. I said, yeah, it's too short. And Ben turned to me and said, uh, you know, it's not the amount of time it takes to write, to make a painting. It's the amount of time it takes to get ready to paint a painting. Yeah. That makes it valuable. Yeah. Uh, when they walked out of there, the paintings were worth about $10,000 a piece. That's what I was told. Wow. His paintings, his two little ones, not Bob's. At that point, they weren't. Bob's weren't that, but they are today. But uh, uh, a lot of them are. Anyway. Uh, but that's what happened. And so we said, you're going to have to do this. So I said, OK, I can do that. So he pulled out another canvas, he had another one with him, and he sketched a little bit. And he said, okay, we're ready to go. He said, I'm going to paint a little and talk a little. So they painted. And every so often, Bob said, Ben, you need to paint a little more. And he said, oh, yeah, right, you can do it. <laughs> and he could it. So they finished the 26 minutes, and it was done. But that's the only time they ever painted a person. There's, there's one painting where it looks like a cowpoke is sitting up against a tree or something with a, a silhouette with a, a pipe or something in his mouth, maybe a, a cigarette. I don't know what it was. And, uh, but it was a silhouette, but no frontal paintings like the girl that Ben Stahl painted. I always saw about you. Saw my caricature, right? Eyes and nose and mouth in that one, but set it back to the joy of painting. I've never seen it since, so I don't want to think about that. Other questions? Any other questions? Yes? How many paintings did he make, Mabras? Like? All together? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows, Joan or Walt or Annette, none of us know for sure. He, uh, there's a painting up there in the Oakhurst, which is mine, uh, that he gave me. He was doing a, a family show at the convention center, and I liked it, and I came up and I said, Bob, I really like that, I think it'd go really well in my office. And he said, why don't I give it to you? And I said, wait a second, you're going to auction this off? He said, I can make a copy. And in 20 minutes he did the painting, 20 minutes. And it was as good or better than the first one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he, he could do them very quickly. He was very deft with his hands. He could do what he wanted to do. He just was very good, very practiced. But I don't know. I, he did obviously 403 times 3. But before he would bring that painting to us, where he would line them up along the wall, he'd line up 13 and we'd do them one in order. You know, one, two, three, four, five. He'd take it and put it up there and put the other one back. We go through that list and, and, and do those paintings on Tuesdays and Wednesdays of the week he did his, his shows. We did 13 shows, set them out, it's a quarter, that's one a week for 13 weeks. And people had the right, PBS stations had the right to broadcast that program on limited times for seven days. That's what they did. And so they, they often 
added on a half a dozen times during the week and sometimes more than that. Because people watched it at a different hour. So not everybody would come in uh, and tune in at 4 o'clock in the afternoon or midnight or 8 in the evening or whatever they put it on. Usually it was late afternoon, I think, or uh, sometimes at noon. But that's, uh, that's the answer. I don't know the answer. I, I would guess that he did. I don't know, thousands of them. Because he would do them at, uh, at uh, auctions all over the country. And, and I know people, I, I can't find them. I talked to somebody who was in town here, who was a hairdresser, and she was talking about the way that she lived over close to where he lived in Muncie. And he used to come over and they used to paint together. Mm. I don't know that person. I wish I did, because I know she's got several of his paintings. But I don't know her name. I didn't get it. I wasn't smart enough to do that several years ago. But, uh, but he did paintings like that, because he could do it. And it, it's honestly not very expensive. If you're looking at the, if you've got the hardware, the brushes and palette knives, and you buy a canvas, which is a few dollars, the paint, you can do more than one painting with, with the paints, the tubes you get. And so it's not a very expensive thing to do. But it's, if you're fun at, if having fun and you're good at it, and you give it to somebody, and you do it and sign it, which you would have done, I don't know how many. I would say thousands of them, but I don't know how many thousands. Just know that if you try and buy them on uh, eBay, which is the only place that I know you can buy them, they go somewhere between five and fifteen thousand. Some of them more than that. Somebody told me yesterday, it was like Thursday, that a series of three paintings went for ninety thousand dollars. Wow. Somebody has three in a row. They put them Other questions? Any other questions? Want to pass those things out, Emily? If you could do that for me, please. <coughs> These are just the remarks people made. And we asked them how the joy of painting has changed your life. And uh, Any other questions? Feel free to walk up and ask a question if you do want to ask it publicly. And I'll be glad to put my mask on and talk with you. Yes, Kelvin Moore over here. Oh, oh go ahead. Um, do you have a favorite painting of his or a favorite episode? Or a certain style? Do you like um, you know, the landscapes more than the beach scenes or deep forest ones? Any, any particular paintings you like better than I, I really like the mountains. I've been to the mountains. I've climbed mountains. I've climbed 14ers in, in Colorado, not in Alaska, but uh, I love the mountains, the landscapes. And uh, when I see those, I, I remember being up there above the tree line and, and looking out and seeing 50 or 60 peaks out in front of me, and it's just such an incredible Vista, it's, it's, uh, once you've done that, it's just, you never forget it. And when you see it, it reminds you of that. It's just a, it's a peaceful place and it's quiet. The thing that's difficult when you're up there is when you can see the storm coming, there's no place to run for it. You know, there's no, there's, there are no buildings up there. And you, you've got to figure out how you're going to deal with that when it gets to you because it's coming and moves pretty fast up there. But the view is unbelievable and uh, it's priceless. So I like those. I like those. Yes, one more question. On YouTube, there's a video of uh, a person at Bob Ross's gravesite in Florida, and while he's there filming the, uh, he's making a YouTube video, and it's on Bob Ross's birthday, ironically, and Bob Ross's brother shows up at the gravesite and speaks with this guy on the camera. And that's well worth looking for on YouTube. If you want to see that. I didn't know about that, and I've never met his brother, but I know, uh, I know his son. And I knew Jane before she died. And I knew Linda before before Bob died. Linda was his last wife. So but I didn't know I'd never met his brother. I didn't I think I met his mother, actually. Any other questions? Well, thank you so much for coming. God bless you. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. We really appreciate it. Um, if you have had your opportunity to see the Bob Ross experience, you may have seen Jim's name um, as well as uh, his, his family. Also, uh, you can go inside the Oakhurst home to see more paintings. There are 29 paintings in there right now, um, and you'll see uh, Jim there as well. Um, so I appreciate it. Go ahead and feel free to take the time, like he said, if, if, to, to ask him questions after this. I just want to let you know that the Bob on the big screen is going to get started now. Um, so it'll be about a half an hour of just Bob on the big screen, uh, and then 
Uh, Doug Hallgren is going to be uh, attempting to keep up with Bob <laughs> in the short amount of time that, Doug, that, that, that Bob gives. All right. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Bob Ross Experience Talk with Jim Needham. I hope you enjoyed. I hope there was some good information in there. If you're a Bob Ross fan, I'm sure this would be a very interesting thing that you would like to hear. So uh, if you want to hear more, there's definitely going to be another one. So we're going to go ahead and go into the next episode. And the next episode is going to be an interview with Joan Kowalski. So we're going to go ahead and listen to this next. It's going to be the next episode of the Bob Ross Talk on the Bob Ross Experience recorded at the Minatrista uh, Gallery. I guess it's like a gallery they have there. But not only that, a Bob Ross Museum and more. So we're going to go ahead and listen to the next one. So grab your easy chair and just relax and enjoy. Enjoy.